two things. Uh, your donations today in the baskets there in the middle, they're going to go to St. Matthew's uh, Church downtown. That's Tony Loza's father's church. Uh, they need new fans uh, for their soup kitchen. It'd be great, especially with the heat waves that come through. So throw in, some, throw in a few bucks, and we will make that happen. <laughs> and then I will uh, go ahead and pass around the attendant so you can go ahead and mark yourself in. And let us pray. Lord God, Father of all, grant us your love for you and your church, that all we do may please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue on with First John, but uh, we need to, uh, I, I guess I should mention, yes, we did have our baby, so Isaac Edward Jacobson. <laughs> Isaac Edward Jacobson was born at 2 o'clock on Friday, last Friday that was. Um, he was uh, 8 pounds, 6 ounces, uh, 21 and 3 quarter inches long, so big guy, uh, but we'll be here next week and his baptism will be next Sunday at 8.30. So, everyone's doing well, except we came home when the storm had hit, so you know, everything's dead, and we're like, oh, this is nice, so we went back down to Champagne for a little while, but everything worked out, so power's back on, everybody's happy. So, continuing on with 1 John chapter 3, I believe, is where we left off here. I'm going to kind of backtrack just a little bit to get a running start in. From 1 John Chapter 3, verse 11. That's on page 1022 in the Red Bibles here. And starting at 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So pretty strong words going on here. But at the second, the second part that's coming up, we're going to get a little bit different of a, of a message here. From verse 11, remember again, we had the connection with 1 John and Genesis. And, of course, he actually makes the connection by taking us back to Cain and Abel. It's very interesting. A lot of people don't like to talk about the evil one, Satan, things like that. But notice he comes up here. Just uh, See, this would be two weeks ago, well, last time I taught. We talked a little bit about Antichrist. Now we have evil one. These two are very much equated. And John kind of jumps around between the two terms. And notice here that... The Cain murders because of the evil one, and then the idea of hate equaling murder, which is pretty strong words, but what does Jesus say in his own gospel about hate? Think of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, 7. Whoever hates his brother, or whoever says to your brother, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell, right? Jesus actually takes the law, the Ten Commandments that we all know, right? Okay, I won't test anybody. But the Ten Commandments, he takes the Ten Commandments and intensifies each one. Jesus does that, and John does nothing different. John's giving you the same message. In fact, it's the same message that, again, you've heard from the beginning. With that being said, there's a few things that we can talk about with just the general culture here. Notice in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because, because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. Remember, especially at this time with John's epistle, intense persecutions are coming on in the church. Um, We actually have a real good uh, Roman emperor who's coming up who will take Christians and light them on fire to light his parties. There's intense persecutions coming up, and they actually know what evil one is. Remember, the Romans are not good. And John is picking up on this, this idea of evil, hatred, and love. What's the other thing that Christians are doing at this time period? The Romans come and ask you, do you know any Christians that accuse you of being a Christian? What are you going to do? You're going to point to, hey, well, what about them, right? You're going to get out of it. This is a lot about the love and stuff. Sometimes we don't get that. We, we get the idea of love your brother, love your brother, love your brother, right? And then at the same time, what's going on in the ancient world and it also goes on to in today's world, we like to point the finger at someone else. In other words, if, if I'm going to get in trouble, you're going to get in trouble as well. But notice here that the word for love comes up. Whoever does not love abides in death. And I'm sure you have all heard that Greek has multiple words for love, right? Agapo, eros, and also philao. You have, you have love of unconditional love, this would be like love between parents and children. You have the love of phileo, that's brotherly love, Philadelphia, for example. I don't know, I've been to Philadelphia, it wasn't a very loving city. Um, I don't know where they came up with that one. And then you have eros, which is sexual love. With that being said, the word here used is agapo, which is, un- which is interesting because that means that you all should love each other unconditionally. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. But consider what comes on in verse 16. By this we know love, the same word, agapo, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives to the brother. Again, this goes back to the idea of unconditional. When one lays down his life, you got nothing left to give. So when somebody is against you, when there's persecutions in your life, when there's people who are... Um, against the, you or the church or anything like that, just remember when they're killing you, then, then you're actually loving, by the way. You're going to go that extreme. You're going to go that distance. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, back to the persecution idea. These things are going on, and these things are happening. In fact, by the time around 200 A.D., there is a bishop that comes out. Some of you know the name Cyril of Jerusalem, by chance. He actually has to command his people to stop giving themselves over for each other because it was becoming rampant. It was almost like kind of a a way to earn favor in the world that I would go turn myself in and try to get somebody back and so forth, so forth. He actually had to stop people from doing that because uh, he was losing his whole church. That's a good problem to have, but um, not a good situation. And from verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So not only do we have the idea of just persecution, but his brother in need. Um, James, the epistle James picks this up more and actually says if you don't clothe your neighbor and see that you're clothed, what good is that? And your faith is dead. Which is pretty strong words. John makes the same point here. If somebody, if somebody has needs and you don't give, him, give them needs, what's going to happen? That person is going to continue to be needy, right? What does Christ do when the, leper, when the ten lepers come? Remember the story? There's ten lepers that come and they shout out to heal me. Heal, heal us, heal us, heal us, right? And what does Jesus do for the ten? 
How, and then what, what happens with the 10? Well, where did the other nine go? But did he make a distinction? No. And actually, maybe you might remember that there was a quote by a, a proto-presbyter and the Russian Orthodox Church. It went in our, um, uh, as a margin comment, about February or March. And the quote talked about, uh, especially giving to the poor, because one of the things I always hear about giving to the poor is, what's the first thing that you're told when you give money to somebody who's begging on the street? They're going, I heard it over there. They're going to buy booze or drugs. But yet they asked, didn't they? And what does John say about giving? Oh, so hang on a second. What, what does it say here? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? By the way, money does account as world's goods. So this article that this uh, proto-presbyter wrote, which, by the way, that's just he's like the kind of the circuit counselor, more or less. He's the, he's the big guy in charge. But he's uh, probably most likely a married priest because you can't, go, you can't become a bishop in the Russian church uh, if you're married. However, notice what it says, uh, says here with the world's goods. What this, uh, what this priest was uh, suggesting was he would actually go and tell the person, I don't believe what you are telling me. Sure, you can take this money, you can go buy drugs. But what does he say at the end? He says, but for the sake of Christ, here you are. And he ends his entire article with these words. We should give with this mentality. Take, Lord, for you are hungry. You are thirsty. You are starving. You so forth, so forth. And that would correspond back to Matthew. Remember Matthew 25, 26, where he talks about... Um, the sheep and the goats, separating right and left. And he says to the people on, your, on his right, I was hungry and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a naked, there we go, and I was in prison. And Jesus himself says those words. And John picks it up here, but in a very small way. John doesn't expand it like we see in other places, but he does. This is the same lesson that has been going on. Now, continuing on from 17, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Notice that it's not his own love. It's not his love that's giving to his neighbor, not his love that's proceeding out, but whose love? And that's which is a very important point. How does God take care of the people around us? Does he just beam a basket of food down in their living room? I mean, it happens every now and then, but... No, he actually uses us to take care of those around us. By the, um, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deeds and truth. And maybe that can be um, harsh for some people, because for many, um, many years and many different churches, we have all heard this, you know, we need, we need deeds, not creeds. We need, uh, we need deeds, not committees. We need to do, not... But what is, so what does this say to us who... I actually had somebody who was quite troubled after reading this and came and talked to me and said, well, why do we have committee meetings then? Kind of an interesting point. I had never kind of thought of it that way. But what, what does it mean to love in word or talk versus deeds and truth? To love in word or talk 
Notice he doesn't mention prayer there, but word or talk. So many of us do this. Oh, I wish I, ha- I wish I could give some money to that guy, but he's going to go buy d- drugs. Or I wish, or I, I want to help these people, mm, but I don't. I don't have time. I have other things to do. It's not convenient, so forth, so forth. Oh, me too. For myself first. <laughs> right. Well, and a lot of people say that, and it's very interesting because what's the one thing, if, and it, I think you can see shows on this. I remember there were some shows five, six years back, I think on TLC. Uh, what, they did a show on millionaires who have won the lottery. And what's one of the first things that happens to people in, that, in those situations? They, they find friends. They find a lot of friends, right? And they find a lot. And then what, but normally what happens to their money within about five, six years? It's kind of gone, right? Not that they were given it away, but, well, they were given it away, but maybe not in the way they should have. Now, I'm not saying that you, you have to give away all your money or anything like that. But we all say these things, and yet when the reality strikes, what happens? We start thinking about ourselves again. And that's, that's human nature. That, again, goes back to beginning versus the beginning here with John. Our beginning, we, we almost cannot get past the Garden of Eden. We almost can't get past the fall. After the fall, we're all kind of like, well, it is what it is, right? And what John wants to do is bring us back to the beginning when everything was for everyone. And here, when we see word or talk, but indeed in truth, we do a lot of talking. But the idea of deed and truth, it's very interesting that deed goes with truth. Why does that happen? Why, why the word truth? Yeah. Love's an action. The deed's an action. Okay. What's truth? Go ahead. The deed verifies what's been spoken. And what's been spoken? I got to take you one more step here. We've got to clarify this, because this is interesting. Notice that it's not just deeds. There's another word. Yeah. Authenticity. You've got a big point of it right there. But also, what else do we hear about truth in, in Scripture? Truth sets you free. Yes, we do hear that. So what is the truth? The word, the word is the truth. Right. So a deed without truth, without authenticity without the backing of why we do this, is it really anything better than me, than me just holding the door open for anyone? Deed and truth go together. A deed has, nothing, has no meaning unless there's something behind it. And notice, if we took it back just a step, how does God's love abide in him? Whose love is it? Again, it's God's. It proceeds out from there. Any questions to that point? Splagigson. Uh, yeah, what, what, uh, that... um, two things are going on with that. Two things are going on with that. First of all, John, uh, where, where did John grow up? 
the, the Apostle John, he was called around the Sea of Galilee. There we go. He was, from the, he was Middle Eastern, right? The Hebrew mindset, everything is moved down. He's writing in Greek. So you th- in Greek, you think with your mind, you feel with your heart, and then you can have a gut-wrenching reaction. In Hebrew, you think with your heart, you feel with your stomach, and then your bowels is where the gut-wrenching part comes. Everything's moved down a step. In. He's using, he's actually taking it down, he's a Hebrew, and he's actually writing as a Hebrew, which is interesting. I should mention, First um, John is the, is the first book almost any Greek student will ever read in Greek because it's incredibly easy. And let's put it this way. John is shallow enough for a kid to play in, but deep enough to drown in. And that's kind of the interesting thing. You can get into John quite deep, and you can go into these type of words and try to figure it out. And sometimes it could be, you know, why does he use that word versus anything else? The other thing, and, uh, and if you read anything like Alexander the Great's uh, biographies and stuff like that, if you read Plato, Aristotle, when they use Blagidzothai, um, this is also the area of um, it's, uh, if somebody dies, they pour out their guts. That's really what they're saying, and that's the same thing here. So it's literally pouring out, pouring out everything of yourself. So there you go. Right. And, or Jude. Or, um, but I have not loved and nothing. So here, giving Jude, you could give a lot of money. Right. But if you have no love and gut-wrenching concern for the person to whom you're giving, it's not really a God-pleasing thing. Right. It got something done, you're giving them the money, but it's not really... Right. Well, and hopefully, uh, obviously, I was a little busy this week, but uh, maybe next week I, I'll, I'll try to remember to print out this article from this, uh, the, the Russian priest because he actually makes the point that when you see the person in need on the street, let's say you're downtown or even out here on Wheaton, actually figure out who that person is. Who, what's your name? Who are you? Are you going to be around here tomorrow? Can I bring you a sandwich tomorrow? I mean, he actually says start a relationship with that person because that's actual genuine care and general concern. And that's what John's getting at here. Now, for us, that could be really uncomfortable, but it's also what's called for. Very interesting because comfort, and this is the other thing, and we've kind of pushed and marginalized people in society so far that we see them without seeing them. In the ancient world, you knew people. I mean, they're, they're carrying around clappers and stuff because they're, they're lepers and they don't want people to come near them. You see these people all the time. It's very visible. Nowadays, it's visible without being visible. We do see without seeing. And sometimes that's our own fault. Sometimes we turn off our own eyes because we don't want to see the things around. But this is what genuine love for brother is. So, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive for him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. 
And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now let's unpack all this a little bit here. Because verse 19 and 20 actually remind me of our epistle reading today. For whenever our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. If you recall from this morning, if you've been to church, Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh in today's reading, right? How many times does he ask God to remove it? Three times, and yet it stays, right? And notice here, you can almost hear Paul saying, I really want this out. It really troubles me. It really troubles me, and yet it stays. Now, notice here what John says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This can, this can be a two-edged sword, this verse, because I've actually heard, and uh, especially uh, my, my, the church that my mother grew up in, this verse is actually is nowadays used to say, well, as long as you're fine with what you're doing, you're okay. So as, you could go on sinning, but as long as, your heart, as long as your heart doesn't speak against you, you're okay. Is that what John is saying, though? Actually, that could be an actual bad problem if your heart's not condemning you and you're doing something wrong. That's kind of a reverse of the problem. Is that rationalizing? Then if I figure that it's all right, then uh, no matter what Scripture says, it's okay. It is true. Um, we rationalize everything. To, I mean, even we, because of who we are and because of being rational beings on this set of heaven, we're going to rationalize just about everything to some degree or another. Um, but there's also pushing something away for the sake of making ourselves feel better, which, which is what you could do with a verse like this, right? You can read this and be like, hey, but that's not what Paul, oh, that's, not Paul. that's not what John is saying. Ah, we'll figure out who I am. But notice, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Ah, there's the key as the word commandments came back up. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of, Je- of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. All right, Lutherans. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Is that law or gospel? Oh! Oh, boy! We have dissent. So notice... Yeah, I mean, if we, if we, went, by the old, if we went by the straight song and dance of law and gospel... What does this actually fall under? Be honest. It's a commandment, right? You will do this, and you will do this. But then I also heard gospel. Why did I hear gospel? Okay, so faith is a gift. So what, uh, what are we going to do with this? Because this sounds like, a, it sounds like believing in Christ here is a law that we've got to do it. And love one another, that's a work. Right. It has to be a gift because I wouldn't do it. Oh, it's a gift, and John's kind of made, made sure that we know it's a gift, but he says you've got to do something. Before, uh, if our hearts don't condemn us, right. before God, if our hearts do condemn us, God is bigger than our hearts. Right. Right. So that's, I don't know. God's bigger, God's bigger than our hearts, and He knows everything. That, I, it's just a, I think it's a strange verse. 
super confused by everything I was reading. Right. Don't worry about it. God's bigger than that. Man, <laughs> as long as you're sort of wrestling with those questions, you're in a good place. Again, John being shallow enough for the baby to play in, but deep enough to drown him. If we can, if we can contemplate this enough, we can really get ourselves in trouble. But notice here that, uh, let's see here, where did it? And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. He has commanded us to do that. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So yes, faith does come by God. And he mentions this at the end because his spirit whom he has given us. But notice this idea that when we have this nice distinction of law gospel, sometimes it can get muddled, especially right in this area. We do know that faith is a gift from God. We also know that nobody can love God without God's... Right. With that being said, is this law gospel? It goes back to yes. It is both. It is a command, so it is law. You're going to do this. Sorry. Life always has some rules. But it's also gospel because how does this come to us? Via the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> you are filled with the love of God. Uh-huh. Like the New Testament, which is for God. Right. It's not a command. It's just is. It just is. This is Christian life. And see, this is the... Um, this is, the, this is the other side of the coin, as you mentioned, that God's love necessarily has to happen because whatever God wants to happen with his love, it's going to happen. In fact, uh, uh, we see this uh, uh, odd example. This would be Cyrus, who comes and conquers the... Ba- uh, let's get this right here. He comes and c- conquers, re- releases the Israelites and brings them back and lets them go back to uh, Israel, right? Was Cyrus a pagan? But did God use him as a tool? Ah, very interesting. God's love always works, no matter which way it's going to go. But for the one who has the spirit of God, yes, it does just naturally flow, and sometimes we don't even realize it. That can be the weird part. But any questions uh, to the end of this? Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, your heart can condemn you, especially when we view the heart. And, the, and again, the, thinking from a, a standpoint of John being a Hebrew, first of all, the heart is kind of the mind. You think with the heart. Your, your heart comes out thoughts. Your mind can condemn you. Case in point, when you do something real bad and you're thinking, man, I shouldn't have done that, you're condemned. This is, condemn, is not, condemn does not necessarily mean damnation all the time. What does a, you can condemn somebody in a courtroom. You can send them to, you can condemn them, right? Your mind can do the same thing to yourself. In the, in the ancient world, condemnation didn't always have to mean damnation. That makes sense? Kind of, Bruce? That,
Now, uh, the, Greek does, the Greek uses words that are very similar to um, against knowledge, evil. Um, they, they're actually using a word, let's see here. That is 21, right? 2021 has condemned. They use the same word, it's katagenoso, which is, it's the word to go, it's to go against mind. Um, yeah, consciousness. What's that? Yeah, but it's more than just recognizing that you've done something wrong. It's recognizing that you deliberately did something wrong. Um, we see this, um, the, word, uh, the last time I've ever seen this word used would probably be um, if you read the, the condemnation of Socrates, right? He's, he's condemned to death. Plato uses this word because the nation, uh, the nation state of Athens has kataginosko. They have gone against their conscience to condemn him to death. So it is a legal word. They use this quite often. Good? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Because back in, especially back in chapter 2, and especially, yes, chapter 2, what, what did we get the sense of brother being? The community that you were in, the church, right? So, but here... Love one another. Notice the difference here. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So we have the example of Cain and Abel. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Okay. The brothers literally will mean the church most of the time. But also, what's this whole thing with Cain and Abel, they're literally brothers, right? But they're also literally the world because there's not a lot of people out there. I mean, there might be some more, but they're mostly the world. It actually means it's a little bit of both. There's, you, you always love everyone because everyone can be considered your neighbor, but brothers, the word brothers, obviously that's a family word, right? That normally always refers to the church, but it also refers to those around the world because how does Christ treat those he, he comes? Again, with the, the ten lepers, he treats them all the, as if they should be saved, right? So brothers, yes, on, the, on this sense means the closest to the church, but it also has the idea of the world around it too. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. The reason I have to say it's, it's part of the church is because First John looks so much similar to baptism and the homilies. He's... he's He's saying this as part of the community. Now, he's not saying that you should go out and hate everybody else and not provide for other people in the world. In fact, that's how the church becomes so appealing for people because they're willing to help. They're, will, they, they're offering something more than just goods. They're offering a lot more, right? They're also offering the word of God. So our brother doesn't just mean those in the church in our own community. It means everyone. But here, here it is a little more defined because he's speaking to a community. Makes sense. It's kind of it's kind of a hard answer to give, but it does it does mean everybody. But here in, in John Epistle, you can find other verses that talk about the whole world, but here he's actually speaking directly to a community. Makes sense. Good. All right. So 
from 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we've had up until this point, we've had some father, some father, and then we have this spirit here. So all those who say the Trinity didn't come into existence until much later on in history, by the way, a lot of scholars will say that, they have to contend with this because all of a sudden John brings up the spirit right here. He actually uses the word. He doesn't try to you know, beat around. He actually uses the word spirit. But notice, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So what commandments are we talking about? The first three. Well, that's good news for me because then I can go do a whole bunch of other things. What commandments are we talking about? The ten? What about the rest? You know, there's 634, I believe. All of them. Oh, boy. I'm pretty sure I have mold in my house. I think I'm done. I've got to burn it down. That's what the Bible says. It's a law. <laughs> well... Is similar. It's amazing that Jesus can sum up all the commandments in two phrases right there. And he actually sums it up pretty well. If you want a little bit longer of an explanation, look at Matthew chapter 6 and 7, where he does the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody in the Sermon on the Mount gets by, by the peace and blessed are the peacemakers and, oh, this sounds good. And then they don't get to the rest of it because the rest of it's pretty harsh says, you know, gouge out your eye, cut off your, your hand if it causes you to sin. You know, it gives all these nice little verses that nobody wants to read, but he does say these things. What Jesus is really referring to is what we would consider the Ten Commandments. Um, you will see, you'll see other churches, you'll see, uh, for example, the Seventh-day Adventists will use verses like this to say, yes, you know, we worship on the Sabbath because that's part of the law, so forth, so forth. So I'm just kind of clarifying that what he's talking about, whoever keeps commandments abides in God. The commandments he's talking about really is what Anna was talking about is the, is the entire sum of the law. It's love for God, love for neighbor, right? Good. Okay, chapter four. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now and now is in the world already. By the way, all those people waiting for the Antichrist, what did it just say? Oh, he's already here. He's been here for a couple thousand years. Sorry you missed it. He's already here is what John says. Again, that's why we can't actually point this as, you know, one guy or something like that. It's here. It's, it is Satan himself. Now, backing up, though, to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We do know of many false prophets that exist, even in the world to this day, and we know that many come out. But where, and I think John mentions this earlier, where have they gone out from? Maybe I'm thinking James. They have actually come from the church. Maybe I am thinking James there. Um, they, they come out from where? They come out from the church. What's the first heresy that the church ever deals with? Right, and what does that have to say about Jesus? 
oh, he can't be true man. What does this say? He came in the flesh. The first heresy that the church has to deal with is, can God become man? Well, yeah, it just said it. Well, they do a whole song and dance to get around it. What's the second heresy the church deals with? Can man contain God? So can Jesus be God as well? It's very similar. So John already answers this question because it's actually starting to pop up in John's time. This is kind of a later epistle from what most people believe. And we're starting to see this issue. He's actually addressing it. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you had heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, again with the children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, with going back to this idea that what the, the first heresy contained, I heard Gnosticism, that is really, in a nutshell, the first, uh, first heresy. You can actually see where the world plays in with this first heresy. Gnosticism is really complicated. Um, let's put it this way. It begins with nothing. There's actually this God called nothing. He's abyss, abythos. And it boils down, abythos gives birth to truth and light. Light gives birth to word. Word gives birth to some Andrea for men. It, and it goes on down the line. By the way, what did those all sound, or most of those sound like? So abythos, darkness, light. Sounds like creation, but what does it also sound like in John's gospel? Christ. So Gnosticism is this philosophical worldly movement that takes all these ideas and puts it together and then plugs Christ into it. That's what John's dealing with, but I'm saying that I'm going to tell us now that we're also dealing with it today. Maybe not in the form of you know, crazy abythos and truth and life and stuff, but notice how many times every time a celebrity jumps on a bandwagon of a new religion, what happens? We all have to kind of cater to that and kind of come up with something new. It still happens, would be my argument. Um, in fact, I would think today we are more Gnostic than we would realize. Um, today we like to, to bring religions together, syncretize them. We like to bring things together. And you, you'll see this, well, why can't we just all get along? Well, it's good to all get along, but when we all get along by combining things, what happens? You water down what you have. And that would be John's case. So when it speaks of the world, the world actually does get its foot in the door and try to uh, bring these things uh, to us. Uh, case in point, um, how long ago was it? Maybe two, three years, maybe even less than that. You know, Oprah came back out as Christian, right? But it was kind of her own version of that. And if you can go read it, I, I, she had some weird... I couldn't make sense of it. What it boiled down to was actually a modern-day Gnosticism, a functional Gnosticism. I will also bring in the case in point that um, the third big heresy that's going to come out of all of this will be what we call Marcionism, which we've got to figure out how Jesus can be God and man. Okay, we can get that, but the third one that comes out is 
well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We can just get rid of that because that was a different God that was not what we thought he was, so forth, so forth. That's the third thing to come out of all this, and which we do here in the church today. And actually, I, I would argue, um, all my friends call me the little Jew because Hebrew is my, my big language. So they all call me a little Jew. I'll, I call them functional Marcionists because they don't want to read the Old Testament. So uh, just a uh, case in point, always make sure that you read both the Old and New Testament because what did it just say about the commandments? Whoever keeps his, com his commandments abides in God and God in him. Right. Not, not the Old Testament. Not the Old Testament. Well, you got half the book. <laughs> so, case in point, um, when John sp speaks of people being in the world and, and functioning with the world and, and trying to, these false spirits, it actually happens today. And if you just think a, a little bit about it, it probably happens more than what we would actually think. So, that would be what I would like to caution you. Uh, as you look at things, as you see things on the television and stuff, Notice what John says. We're fine because what has already happened? Says it right there, verse 3, 4. Well, Antichrist has come, but, but what does it say here? He's greater than, but he is greater than the world, right? And he overcomes the world. He actually brings the entire world to himself on the cross, whether the people like it or not. In fact, the cross is the, great, is the great equalizer because what do you see? You see the Pharisees there. They're not do, too good. You see the pagan soldiers there. And then you see John and Mary. You, everybody's there. So it's a little mini kind of end time, so to speak. Everybody's there. Everybody's got their idea. He draws everyone to himself in one way, shape, or form. All right. I better go light candles here before the next service starts. So um, my guess is next week, Either Pastor Bruzik or myself will be here. I don't know who, which one of us. Uh, but next week is my last week. So if I'm with you, I'm with you. If not, it's been fun. And let us pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.